0: the Intern Whisper Live, the show all about the future of innovation in industries, entrepreneur stories, inspiring leaders, and of course, internships. Remind your listeners, you can call us live on the air and the phone number is 407-582-2906. You can also chat with us online through Intern Pursuit's Facebook live chat. Coming up on this episode, we have David, I want to pronounce the name right, Miklas, David Miklas on employment and labor attorney. Students who want to work with Intern Pursuit really, can go to internpursuit.tech and create your free profile to be matched. We invite employers of all types and sizes to be a part of our early adopter beta program. Early adopter employers receive small special pricing until... December 2019. If you want to learn more, shoot us an email at info at internpursuit.tech. All right, so
1: where can you find Intern Pursuit? You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Yay, YouTube! And you can also find our Intern Pursuit game on Facebook and Twitter, and you can go to our game and play it at internpursuit.games, G-A-M-E-S. Just making sure you know that. The, you can watch us live on Facebook, and be sure to follow Intern Pursuit. And then you can listen to us live on Valencia College Radio. You can download Valencia College Radio's app on Google Play and search for Valencia College Radio to have that in your phone. You can look for Intern Pursuit on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbeam, and podcast cha- on the podcast channels. And I said Intern, intern Pursuit. It's really Intern whisper folks. You can also call us live on the air. The phone number is 407-582-2906 and chat with us online through Intern Pursuits Facebook Live Chat.
0: Orlando Devs is one of our patrons. They are a community of software developers in Orlando, Florida. Whether you love writing code or just getting started, you're welcome there. Their website is OrlandoDevs.com. Thank you, Orlando Devs, for being a patron of the Intern Whisper.
1: All right, so welcome, David, to the Intern Whisperer. We're so happy that you're here.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, so tell our listeners a little bit about what does an employment and labor attorney do? Why did you go into this field? Where did you go to school? All of those fun things.
2: Sure. Well, I uh, did my undergraduate and uh, law degree uh, from the University of Florida. Go and, uh <laughs> Yes. And, and when I was in law school, um, I actually uh, uh, did a summer clerkship is what they call it in law school. Um, it's essentially an internship, except there's no college credit. And um, and I was fortunate enough at that time to clerk for an attorney who did practice uh, labor and employment law. So at that point, I realized I did like this area of law. So then when I was about to graduate, I, I solely uh, attempted to get uh a job working in this specific field. And I've done it for 20 years. I've been fortunate that I didn't have to bounce around or just stumble into a type of law. Um, To me, it's always been exciting. So so I I enjoy this kind of law. And and what labor and employment attorneys do, um, a lot of people call themselves labor and employment attorneys, but most of them just do employment law. Labor law usually involves unions. And down in Florida, that's not too uh, big of a deal unless you're in a public sector like the police or the city or a county or school district, um, but employment law is what you typically think of for discrimination, harassment, uh, wages, overtime, minimum wage, things like that, uh, trying to keep employers out of trouble and not getting sued, and if they do get sued, then I defend them. I don't sue. I'm, I, I never represent uh, the plaintiff, the, the employee, but uh, pl- plenty of attorneys do.
1: Ah, interesting. So um, I'm also curious, not one of the questions I shared with you, but um, when you chose the field of law, was it because somebody in your family is, a, is an attorney?
2: Nope, nope, not at all. In fact, um, I had my undergraduate degree in criminal justice, which has nothing to do whatsoever with anything I do uh, in my career. Um, when I ended up with a four-year degree, I could have gone to be a police officer or to go to the FBI or I, I honestly didn't feel like getting shot. Um, so I, I chose to go to law school. It had nothing to do with, uh, uh, you know, family members being in, in law or anything like that. In fact, most of my contemporaries that were, were in law school with me um, have degrees in almost everything. You don't have to have it a pre, I know some schools have what they call pre-law degrees. Um, UF didn't, uh, and, and frankly, you don't need any kind of degree. Um, the biggest thing they care about is your your ability to, to think, perform well on the LSAT and your GPA. So you can have a degree in anything.
1: Okay. So one of the things, I spent two years at University of Florida, so that's why I went Go Gators.
2: Oh, go Gators, um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah,
1: And I was a criminal justice major also, but I was going to transfer up to FSU, um, which they had a criminal justice program also. I didn't know I see. That Florida had it. But I was just trying to get away from home as far as I could, honestly. <laughs> so that was part of it. Anyway, um, one of the things that I liked about the University of Florida campus, and I don't know about yourself, but um, it seemed almost ageless. <laughs> the only people that got older were the professors. Everything else stayed the same. <laughs>
2: just as yes, that's true. <laughs> yes. I've gone back for some football games, and I'm going up uh, next week for for a speaking uh, a presentation that I'll be doing. But I love going back. and and uh, seeing the campus and uh, reliving my good old days.
1: Yeah, yeah. The museums that they had up there were really nice, the Butterfly Museum and all of that stuff. Yep. Anyway, um, I digress. So since you did this clerkship, um, how do you think, and have you ever had a law clerk work with you before?
2: Um, I I have. Um, I have used a couple different law students, uh, when I first opened my law practice, um, because I, I had practiced with a, an established firm for 17 years, and then when the managing partner retired, um, we decided to close that firm up, and I opened my own firm a couple years ago. And um, at that point, um, it was just me solo, and um, I had a lot of work, and I needed some assistance uh, researching, so I reached out to various law schools in Florida, and I uh, got a couple of different law students, and, and they helped me uh, I, I have a book that I'm a co-author of, and every year I have to update thousands of legal citations. So I use the law students to help me with that, and and also I, some just some general legal research that they were able to help me with.
1: Okay, so now you said a book that you've also co-authored. Tell us about the book.
2: Oh, it's a uh, it, it's a legal treatise. It's called a uh, employment. Uh, it's employment in in Florida, and. Um, it goes through everything but th- there's a lot of citations to law so it's not like your average book if you just go to HR fl- Florida conference and paperback I mean this is like a $300 book it's like a, a legal book um, it's, it's not too exciting but uh, if you're you, saying if, it's
1: something that attorneys would read not yes, the general yes. public. Okay, I
2: gotcha. <laughs> yes yes and, yes and, and actually it is published uh, and it's available on Lexis so so anyone any attorney with Lexis when they do legal research, if you have an option to look at actual cases. And then there's also secondary authorities. And that's what these legal treatises are. And various times when I do research, my own book pops up.
1: Oh, that's cool. That, that must make you feel really good. I know that when I taught in a college and I saw my name over there on the shelf when people were supposed to buy books at that time, it was like, <laughs> oh, my God, look, there's my name. It says professor right in front of it. It's pretty exciting.
2: Yes, yeah, that is neat.
1: Yeah, and I got to assign my own, set up my own syllabus too, so that's cool. Well, congratulations, that's a really a, a big deal. So, well, thanks. Yeah,
2: and, and, and I've actually written um, probably I don't know four or five hundred articles at this point um, ever since I, I was a lawyer. One of the the things I was tasked with when I was even a baby lawyer was uh, writing uh, newsletter articles for all of our clients, and every single month. Uh, we'd have to write four, five, six articles, and it, at that time we just sent them out to to our own clients. And this is back in uh, the late 90s and early 2000s. And um, since then, since I've opened my own firm, um, I, I basically publish this uh, same material that I sent out to my clients, um, but I, I publish it on my uh, blog, and um, and I also share it on social media and you know various different places. So the same article is able to get recycled multiple times, and basically a a broader audience has access to it now than than before.
1: Mm, Very good. Very good. I know I'm going to be doing the same thing on some of my blog articles. It's time to, I mean, the topic is still relevant, but it needs to have a refreshed appearance, so I get what you're saying there. What do you think that um, students should know about going into the law field? Because one of the things I was told was that in America, there's one attorney to every five people. And then you could go to some other country and, you know, you'd have, you know, a better a better opportunity. I don't know if that's true or not. That was like a while back. But it seems like a lot of people are still going to law school. So what do you think you would tell them about law school?
2: Well, um, it, this is a tough one because I see it from the perspective. Perspective of a practicing attorney and and there's a lot of competition out there that there, there's a, a ton of lawyer There's a hundred thousand lawyers in Florida. Um, so th- there's plenty of lawyers But on the flip side every month Um us lawyers get articles from the Florida bar telling us how there's still uh, a bunch of uh, people that don't have representation so, um, I, I'm not real sure I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be critical that, that there's too many lawyers in Florida Um, but it sure is a moneymaker for for the university. So that's why there's so many, uh uh, universities uh, that that have law schools and law programs um, but um, there are a lot i think the the biggest thing that most law students don't realize is that you not everyone is making a ton of money. There are plenty of lawyers that come out first of all with with massive debt, so even if you are making a lot of money you're you're paying a lot in in student loans repayment. But there's a lot of lawyers, um, public defenders, Florida Rural Legal Services, uh, prosecutors that, that really don't make uh, anywhere near the money that most people think lawyers make. And um, that's probably the biggest surprise that, that students don't realize. I mean, there's plenty of people that make a lot of money, um, but, but the vast majority of, of uh, uh, surprise, I think, happens uh, with when you come out of school with massive debt and you're not making the money that, that you imagine that you might have made.
1: Yeah, and I think that the reason why there's a perception is a lot of reasons. First, they watch uh, shows on TV. TV and, shows, yes, right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everybody is, like, living this opulent lifestyle, so, you know, there's a, a misperception there. Secondly, I agree about the whole cost to go to law school. Um, they aren't paying attention to that for sure. Uh, the third thing that I don't think that people take into account, I know you mentioned that there's a shortage of of people for that are seeking representation they may not be able to pay the fees that that an attorney (laughs) charges so you usually go the route of public defender or state attorney which is you know set by the government so you know there's a number of factors that are being weighed there um and then some of the areas of law are not quite as as fun as others like you know domestic anything that's in the domestic area Mm-hmm. Um, filing for yeah. divorce
2: and, and actually my, my wife um, I met her in law school and she is a prosecu she used to be a prosecutor and then after uh, we had our children she went, decided to go back to law but change types of law and she does family law exactly right. what you're talking about uh, it's divorce and custody and um, oh, I think uh, I, I certainly could never do that I, I don't have the tolerance for that uh, the patience um, I just don't connect with people that way and um, but she does her undergraduate degree is in psychology. Um, oh, so perfect. it's a good fit for her. And, um, you know, not, not everyone can do all types of law. Um, some, some types of law would be extremely boring to me. Drafting wills and, and doing that type of stuff or, or just dra- drafting contracts, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. I, I, that would be too boring. But there's so many different types of law that there's definitely something for everyone.
1: I agree. I agree. So what would you tell your 20-year-old self that's going through college now? Knowing what you know now, you know, it's like years later. What would you go and tell yourself that, gee, I wish I had known that?
2: Well, a, a couple of different things. First of all, I, I definitely would get on LinkedIn. I wouldn't waste my time, uh, or, or I wouldn't waste as much time on things like Snapchat, um, because when you're going to be getting a job, um, everyone to help you get a job and, and your prospects are going to be on LinkedIn anyway. So you need to build up a LinkedIn profile. You, you need to be, I would tell myself to sanitize. All my other social media platforms uh, obviously people make mistakes they're young that they, they post pictures that, that, that later on they may regret um, but but if you're even thinking about looking for a job you can't have uh, pictures of you smoking a bong or, or doing a keg stand or crazy things like that yeah. um, I, I tell myself um, don't waste time with garbage jobs um, I, I would strive to get a real good experience even if uh, involved little or no money um, I, I spent a lot of time Doing you know blue collar work um, because I was able to get money, but at the end of the day, it, it didn't really help me advance my career. Um, and, and the few ones, the few jobs that I did take um, where I made very little money, those were the ones um, that that helped my career the most. Uh, when I was clerking for a lawyer, um, I, I clerked for several lawyers, um, but some were I was just a runner. But just being in uh, at, at that time, you actually had to run from the law firm to the courthouse to file paper documents. Now, now you don't do any of that kind of stuff anymore. Everything's on the computer. But there's still low-level jobs like that that law firms need. And um, you know, just being around someone in your field, even if it's not a lawyer in any kind of field, just being around those people that actually do that every day, um, that's invaluable experience.
1: I agree, because there's that place of being exposed to the jargon, being exposed to what, what does it look like to work in a law firm. You can just, you know, do the observation side of it and learn a whole lot that way. So I would agree with you.
2: Um, let's see. Oh, oh, one more thing. Um, one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize um, about law, in addition to maybe not everyone making so much money, is that um, lawyers in general are, are extremely slow to change. Um, <laughs> this is one of the few fields that that they still use fax machines.
1: No way.
2: I don't have a fax machine in my office, but three years ago, our firm did have a fax machine. Um, and I know medical professionals still have it, and so does insurance agents. But besides that, I, in fact, I've only had three requests in the last three years for my fax number. And once I, I chose not to do it because it's a waste. Anyone that wants to fax you something can scan it in and email it to you or put it in Dropbox, even if you encrypt it. There, there's a lot of different options, and frankly, I just shut down the fax line and I just don't use that anymore. But plenty of lawyers do. And they're just like dinosaurs and it, they're kicking and screaming. I mean, there was a 10 year fight for lawyers um, that didn't want to file documents electronically in Florida state courts. And we've been doing that in, in federal court. And it's not it's a lot easier. But there's a lot of lawyers in Florida that hated it and fought it. And um, it, they're kicking and screaming into the 21st century.
1: Well, you know, the government, <laughs> I know that they still use fax machines because I've had to send stuff in, to, whether it was student loans, it was the IRS, if it was getting the health insurance, they always say, well, we want you to fax it. I said, nobody has a fax machine anymore. Where, where do you think I'm going to get that? And they, well, you got to go find it. I said, don't you scan it and I can't I email it to you? Oh, yeah, well, you can do that. That's like the second choice they give you. They would still yeah. want you to fax Yes. It's ridiculous. I, yeah.
2: and, and, and I mean, that's just one example, but there's a lot of different kinds of technology. I mean, most law law firms have a website now. Five, six, seven years ago, I don't even know if most of them had websites. And if they do, they're paying outrageous rates for bare bones, clunky websites that, um I mean, have four or five pages and that's it. So, I mean, those are the kinds of things where, you know, it's, it, they get a bundle And it's part of either the yellow pages or it's part of, um, you know, something where you have your legal research. And uh, they think that they're getting a good deal because all the other lawyers are doing the same thing. And it's, I mean, not everyone's doing it, but a lot of them are still doing that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I know you're a part of Disrupt HR. So tell our listeners about that. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it when you were doing that. You do a lot of... um speaking public speaking at really cool events and let's give a shout out to that organization
2: sure sure um actually yes it's 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 global at this point i know they have them in england and scotland and all over um i've i've spoken at um disrupt uh orlando twice it's it's called disrupt hr and then i've also spoken at disrupt gainesville and they just started one called disrupt sarasota and i'm slated to speak at that one And, um, basically the concept is instead of like my typical presentation is is about an hour, a 60 minute presentation. And, um, you know, anyone that goes any kind of CLEs or, you know, any kind of credits is used to that. The concept of the disrupt, um, setting is where you get 10 speakers in an hour. So each speaker only has five minutes. You only have 20 slides in your PowerPoint and you have no control. It automatically advances the slides for oh. you every 15 seconds, and, and it's a completely different um, type of presentation. No, and it's one
1: that they do. It's like – I think it's in Japan, and it's like Pachaka Chuka, something yes, like that. Yes,
2: it's, it's similar to that, yes.
1: Yeah, it's, it sounds like Pikachu, but it's not that. But, yeah, that is – that's really – intense too because it,
2: it's done. weird because uh mm. I, I i create a new presentation for any new disrupts that i'm doing in the future and i will spend more time on that five minute presentation than i do for an hour-long presentation it's it's very demanding if you want to pull it off right in fact i was very critical in my last one but when i watched it back it was fine but it, i lost track of a slide i mean i was a couple seconds over and i mean it, it's very challenging um but you know it plays Plus, you have to build in a little bit of time if the audience laughs. Um, so you only get five minutes.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: So yeah, but the whole concept do- is that you're supposed to bring up something that's disruptive to the field of human resources. So like, it's basically to get you thinking. And, you know, five minutes is enough to, to do that. So when you leave the room and you heard 10 people speaking, hopefully, you know, six, seven, eight of them are giving you some, something to think about.
1: So what did you speak about?
2: Um, the last time, um, I spoke about, um, how, um, recruiting or, um, hiring online using social media can get employers sued. Um, and it it focused on most employers, hiring managers or recruiters will look someone up on Facebook or, or LinkedIn or or some kind of social media. And, uh, it happens all the time. The vast majority of hiring managers do this, and it, it's it's fairly dangerous. There was a case um, out of Kentucky where a gentleman uh, sued and ended up getting one hundred twenty-five thousand um, dollars because they thought he was a certain religion and, and they didn't hire him based on that. And it turned out they were completely wrong, um, but but because of that, um, he was able to sue them under Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act. And and a lot of people don't even realize that there's a liability out there. So that's the reason I wanted to bring that up because it's so prevalent to look someone up and and most people have no clue that there is a danger to doing it if they don't do it in in a certain way.
1: So what tips are there that you could share with our listeners about how to do it in the proper way?
2: (laughs) Well you can use an outside third party in in which case that they they give certain uh, authorizations and notices Um, or if you're going to do it yourself internally Um, that the actual person who's in charge of hiring should not be the one looking it up. Um, it could be a a different individual who's divorced from the actual, uh, uh, interview process so that they can't exclude a candidate or simply you don't look them up until after you've given them the job offer. And these are a lot of things that people don't like to hear that they've been doing this for a few years and, and they think they, it's very effective and um, they're not willing to change. And it's going to take a couple more companies to get sued and and HR directors to get fired before uh, I think more people start realizing the risk.
1: So they're using that like in place of uh, maybe a criminal background check is what they're supposedly doing, but it's more of um, a mechanism that actually increases more bias.
2: Absolutely. In fact, there was just uh, last week – this this woman applied for a job and um, the the hiring company looked her up on on Instagram and found a picture of her in a bikini and then shamed her and, and they posted that picture of her on the company's website and said you know public service announcement if you apply for a job don't don't have this on your Instagram account I mean it and then they ended up shutting down all their social media because of the backlash I mean it, it completely. Uh, hurt that company's reputation. And this just happened. I know uh, Ricky Baez talked about it on, on his podcast. Um, So yeah, this is a a dangerous area.
1: Oh my gosh, Sydney, you're
0: shaking your head. No, why talk to me? Maybe it'll be unpopular millennial. I just want to have fun opinion, but why would they shame her just for having a bikini pick? Like I'm trying to understand, like I get, you want your employees to have a professional look. Right. Okay. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, what company was this? Like, what was the business again? Like, was it like law or what? Was no, it? I think
2: it was like a, it was PR. Um, okay. But but it, it wasn't like she said, hey, here's a picture of me during her application process. Right. It just said, hey, if you're on social media, uh, share, you know, uh, sign up or, or, or tag us or whatever. So she did. It's not like she she intentionally shared any of those specific pictures with the employer, but they went out of their way. Hunt them down and and yeah i th- I think it's crazy that they did that,
0: yeah, and she wanted a job with them, yeah <laughs> <Not> okay <anymore. laughs> well what's well what's wrong with work life balance so what mm-hmm. like should she should she not post any pictures of herself? in a two-piece bikini at all like what if it's what if we just didn't sexualize so much and that's just what she wore to the beach that day like why is it that big of a deal but i say that but i also understand why people would think that because they want a conservative and you know like she wasn't trying to work for instagram if she worked for instagram well then maybe well, if she worked for fine. a bathing
1: suit company that'd be one thing
0: exactly so right. i guess they want your post to be relevant to their company you know, yeah. I think this you know, is where the employer
1: saying. might be coming from because I I used to look at social feeds and I go, I don't know, they're just being ridiculous. You know, that was my opinion. Yes, but um, what I was looking for, if there was anything that was uh, biases that mm-hmm. could get me in trouble. That's really more of what I was paying attention to. Is there, you know, Were they saying anything that was inappropriate, lots of bad words, things of that nature, and I use bad words, but in my own, I don't put it on the web for anybody right. to see. And then the other thing is, um, what somebody puts out there, it is potentially, as the employer, I'm sitting here going, okay, if they're putting their personal life out there, would they be doing that with, the company business, how would they even show that they have any type of a clue where to draw the line in the sand? So maybe that's really what an employer could be thinking, mm. but it can be anything.
0: Yeah, I just think in terms of on the scale of ridiculous things to put on the Internet, I don't think a picture of you in your bathing suit at the beach where it is appropriate to wear a bathing suit is that big of a deal
2: i agree with you cindy
0: yeah it's just yeah. it's just really not and also i think we should allow um employees to have a personal life like why can't they have their own thing separate from their company and that's why a lot of people put their instagram and Facebooks on private yeah and maybe everyone should do that well that's what
1: David was saying earlier mm-hmm. he said that you should either sanitize it or in this yes case, I was nodding private. my
0: head very hard at sanitizing <laughs> your social media because people do post very ridiculous things yeah and maybe do. if they just like made the setting so only I can see it and not everyone else at least you won't feel like oh well I have to leave all these fun memories no just hide them yeah that yeah. way only you can see it yeah a private section okay
1: Well, um, so let's talk a minute, and then we're going to take a break. You know, where I met you, David, was when you and I went to Rollins College for a uh, student SHRM chapter, Yes, uh, and that was a conference there. We all had topics that we were speaking about, and I went, oh, my gosh, you're talking about internships, and that's where we met, and our uh, professional relationship, because I'm going to say that, professional relationship, too, uh, began... uh, flourishing there. So one of the things that I liked is that you were talking about the seven criteria that are required for um, having an unpaid internship that has real value, and I said, oh my gosh, we have to sit down and, and talk some more <laughs> about that. So I saw that you tagged me in something where uh, Wendy was mentioning the seven criteria also, and, and you tagged Daniel. Daniel's been a guest on the show also. Mm-hmm. So is there um, any words of wisdom about those seven criteria that you'd like to share right now?
2: Uh, yeah, it's, it, 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 it's funny because uh, I've written about this and, and I've posted some articles about this. And um, employers continue to get this wrong and um, that they continue to, to just want free labor. It used to be a, like a, a six-factor test in, in, that the Department of Labor used until a couple of, uh, appellate courts around the country said uh, that they rejected it. And then the Department of Labor in 2018 uh, announced that it was endorsing that new internship test, which basically focuses on the primary beneficiary factors. <laughs> and um, in there, th- there are seven. And and one of the key things is that the student really should be the primary beneficiary of the internship. It shouldn't be the employer getting free slave labor. And um, one way to show that is by giving the student feedback and um, you know, providing a letter of recommendation that, that benefits the intern for future employment opportunities can be one. But the, the two biggest things out of that seven factor test that I see employers getting wrong is that there is absolutely no tie whatsoever to the student's education or, or an educational institution. It's they're not trying to do it just during the summer or during a semester. They're not offering really any benefit to the uh, student intern. They're just trying to, to get re- replacing a current employee, which is they're never going to be able to 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 do that legally without paying the, the employee at least minimum wage. And that's the whole point of it. If you're going to have an unpaid internship, it needs to, to follow the Department of Labor's guidance.
1: Yep. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. All right, so we're going to take a little break. Sydney, if you would go ahead and do our second patron.
0: Okay. Star Studios is a pioneering hub for innovative and tech-enabled entrepreneurs that empowers and provides resources for entrepreneurs, creatives, and innovators. To begin, grow, and flourish in Florida through community education programs, accelerators, funding, and collaborative workspaces, Starter Studio fosters a community serving as a platform for the ideas of the future. Their (coughs) website is www.starterstudio.org. Thank you, Starter Studio, for being a patron of the Intern Whisperer Live.
1: All right. So we're back for part 2, and we're going to talk about does the future of the legal industry look like in careers like 10 years out, 20 years out if we could even imagine it. Like will it be robots? I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't think so, but I think that there's places where it could work. So, David, what do you think the future of the legal industry looks like?
2: Well, um, I you, you mentioned robots, but, but I definitely think um, AI is going to have an impact. Um, I, ironically, it may actually decrease the the money that, that some lawyers are, are able to make. Um, it, it all depends on exactly how it's used. Um, I do think that um, with time, with technology, I think that um, some types of law may disappear entirely. Um, we're already seeing um, the commoditization of, of law right now. In, in, it's not going to happen overnight because the legal profession is is not going to allow it. They're tackling uh, some of these innovators uh, by charging them with the unlicensed practice of law when they try to act like lawyers. Um, but but at at some point, things like contract drafting, I think, is going to go away, and and you're just going to be able to plug in um, some empty blanks, and a, a contract's going to be spit out. And you know, there's always going to be a spot for lawyers because whether that fifty dollar contract is legally enforceable. Um is something that we're gonna fight about., um, but I definitely think that um there there's certain things um, that is gonna happen with technology. I think that software is gonna help lawyers by making their jobs more efficient and and it's I already see it now by automating uh, repetitive uh, certain tasks. I used to an example, one of the things that I do for my clients is I is help them with uh, employee handbooks. I either draft it or revise it. And at this point, um, it is far cheaper. To draft a new employee handbook for a client from scratch than it is to review a current handbook and i'm talking 10 times cheaper um because if i have to review their employee handbook let's say it's 50 pages i have to read every single word in it because every word um you know has a meaning and there can be illegal language in employee handbook and if you don't read it all then you might miss it so to read a 50-page handbook takes time, and most lawyers bill by the hour. Whereas if I draft one from scratch using certain technology and, and software, uh, I can turn one out in a few hours. So the the price I charge my clients is significantly less. The time I spend on it is significantly less.
1: So I know you said doing it from scratch, but there's a lot of programs out there now where it's like plug and play because I've, I've written business plans as an example and you can just you know type in the name of the company and then it populates in all of the appropriate areas and then you can uh, pick from a list of industries and then that populates that i'm just using it as an example yes um, there are a lot of templates out there that do the same thing that are um, hr however i think it's exactly the case in point that you said there were um, six criteria i remember when there were seven Obama changed it to six. Then it went back to seven after Obama went out of office. I don't know if that's any real relationship, but I just noticed it. So, if you were using that as the guidelines, you could have the old criteria as part of your employee manual. And you really need to have an an attorney that's making sure, in this instance, not only the handbook is correct, but you know forms that you're using and um, any of those things and well, AI can certainly replace words whether it's a pronoun or a, you know a keyword like a company name. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's anything that can replace the the ability to read it and to really interpret what it actually means because I can write the word from and I can write the word form. They're both correct. You know, they they mm-hmm. sometimes spell check doesn't catch those things. But That's a human right. can so I yeah. feel like that's the value of an attorney is the ability to see those nuances and be able to uh, protect. Protect.
2: Your person. I agree, and, and and I'm not any in any way suggesting uh you know the sky is falling a Chicken Little type thing. Lawyers are going to be here forever. Um, they've been here for for thousands of years, and they're going to continue because um, they're there to argue, and if. If you don't like the status quo and you don't like what's being done to you, you're going to argue somehow creatively (laughs) that, um, you know, it's not right. And then there's a lawyer on the other side to argue that you're misunderstanding or or misinterpreting um, the rule or the law or whatever. So although technology is going to change certain aspects of the law, um, lawyers are going to have to adapt. And uh, I I definitely think that uh, I mean, like, for instance, right now, some lawyers are texting their clients, some you know, are communicating via social media, um, you know, WhatsApp and different things like that. Um, you know, some other ones don't and they only deal with telephone or in person, um, face to face meetings. It, it all depends on the type of law. Some, some types of law don't lend themselves to, to the internet or, or to social media. Other types of law, like for instance, my type of law, it's very rare that I meet a client face to face in my office. I try and make it as convenient for my clients as possible. And nine times out of ten, whatever issues they're running by me, we can do that over the phone. We can do it by Skype or by FaceTime. I mean, we can use technology. Some lawyers are kicking and screaming, and they're just not going to do it. And those are the ones that are going to get passed over um, by the people that do adapt to the technology.
1: Well, I think you're raising an interesting question because this is the first time in a long time where we've had five generations in the workforce, and that's significant because I think those are the ones that you're talking about, whether it's uh, the silent generation, the baby boomers um they're getting ready to do an exodus out of the workforce mm-hmm. um, that's going to leave a big hole <laughs> in the um i think in a lot of industries, and you know millennials are the are the next generation that Actually, even surpasses baby boomers. So, you know, in size, just in sheer numbers. So, I feel like we're definitely going to see a big change in a number of places. Not even just the legal field, but based on how um, that generation, what they grew up with, how they communicate with each other, and the the key technology that. Um, when I say what they grew up with, but that key technology that they were using and if it's actually been innovative and transformed also. Facebook is Mm -hmm. a really good example to them. Yeah. And
2: and actually, I think um, you need to realize, and this isn't just limited to lawyers, but I think it's a good example that if you're in the field of law, your clients are people and and they're going to span all five of these generations that we're talking about. I mean, I've got clients that, that are in their 60s and 70s, and I need to communicate with them very differently than 20-year-olds. Than um, and you know, lawyers that are successful are going to be the ones that can adapt and, and do it across those generations. And, and I did hear the work-life balance a few times, and it's ironic because I know uh, especially the millennials and, and Gen Z are, are trumpeting this. Um, but but it, it's not all one-sided. Um, th- there's a downside to doing that. I mean, if, if you work less, there's a really good chance that you probably are going to make less money. Um, and and sometimes that's fine and you'd rather have the, the freedom or working from home. But some other times you may realize, well, shoot, you know, I, I know so-and-so is doing this and they're making 60 grand and I'm only making 30 grand. Why is that? Well, maybe only working half as much. So, you know, the work-life balance, it's a balance. It's not just, you know, staying home or, or, or working a lot less. You know, there, there's a downside to that financially sometimes. Now, that's not, you know, across the board. I know plenty of people that are more effective um, working from home or, or working at midnight or whatever. Um, but but I think some people don't realize that uh, certain professions do require certain amounts of work um, in order to make the amount of money that, that they're thinking they're going to make.
1: Yeah. And I think that there's this place of when we talk about work-life balance, um, we as humans were made for relationships. And I don't think that people are as fulfilled and satisfied by working alone as much um, because you become very isolated and you're not very socialized um, with just being around different personalities, behaviors, being patient, you know, accommodating. All of those are really good qualities that you get from working with other people. Uh, But there's also this shared knowledge trust that comes in by working with people, and then it spans across a lot of generations because you know nobody knows any everything, and it really requires working with a lot of people to be able to um, understand. Well, hey, I watched this art, you know, I read this article. Oh, and I saw this on TV and or you know Hulu or whatever it is, and it was all about how. you know, laws changing. We'll use that as the example. And so, you mentioned something earlier too that uh, people are filing documents electronically. They aren't using runners anymore. But mm-hmm. there is uh, part of the reason why the fax machine. I was told the reason why the fax machine was still relevant and used in the courthouse is because there was a timestamp on it. And even though you can email something it it was coming from a real dedicated phone number versus you know somebody else's email account and Mm -hmm. somebody to me the argument didn't make sense at all because somebody could email the document in for me from my email account but they could also fax it in from a fax machine and it to me it was still the same information but they were trying to make an argument as to why the fax machine was uh, still relevant, but they work in the government,
2: so what can I do? For, for me, the, on, the only reason I think fax machines are relevant <laughs> is because it's, it's much more secure than email. Um, so if, if you're not using a, a VPN, or you're not encrypting your emails, things like that, then then fax machines will have it more secure. Um, but, but there's still other steps you can take to, to have email secure. Um, but like when we file documents in state and federal court, um, we essentially upload them over the Internet through a secure portal, and there is a timestamp. It shows the exact time that, you're, that you filed a document because uh, when I file a document in federal court, the deadline is midnight. So I can I don't have to get it to the courthouse when someone's working there by 4.30 or by 5 o'clock like I used to. Now I can file at 11.30 at night if I want. Now, as a practical matter, if there's a problem uploading it, the help desk is closed. So most lawyers will still try and file it during the day uh, because if there's a problem, they can pick up the phone and call the help desk um, to make sure that they can get through that. But I can file and everyone can see what time I filed it, whether it's at 10 o'clock at night or, or six in the morning or whenever. And um, it, that is like gold. Um, that timestamp is, is real important.
1: Oh, okay, well, that was good. You explained that. That's uh, good information there. So when you're looking at, aside from just filing electronically, I've seen a lot of software platforms that come out that are there to try and help attorneys um, communicate more effectively, working globally like what you were just describing. Um, how do you, have you ever had any, any um, international clients? And how would that be different?
2: Um, I, I don't. My practice is strictly uh, Florida-based. Um, but um, I like for instance, I know that some of the software or actually most of the software now actually has what's called a client portal and it's it, it, Kind of like if you go to a doctor or if you go to a quest and get your blood uh, Taken you can give a password um, Sometimes it's two-factor authentication um, But then you have a secure portal where you can go in and see your own medical records in, in the medical field well, Lawyers have the same thing. Um, we set this up with our clients through this new software and you can have essentially secure communications with your client and it's not being sent over email. It's going through a a secure portal that's through our software. And sometimes um, it's not just sending email messages to our clients. Sometimes I may uh, draft like a, a proposed memo that I'm about to file and I want the client to review it. In the old days I would print it out and mail it, or or more recently, you'd email it to the client, let them review it, and and they could send you changes back, or then you call on the phone. Nowadays, you can just upload it to the portal, and the client can read it on their phone at 2 o'clock in the morning if they want, and and get back to you that way. So that's an example of technology, how it's being used now. And another thing that's going forward for the future is um, alternative billing methods. Um, For many, many years, the only way lawyers would bill um, is, is by the hour. Um, And you hear lawyers charging $200, $400, $600 an hour, and and you have no idea how much time it's going to take them to do something. And finally, just recently, lawyers in certain fields, not all lawyers, but certain lawyers in certain projects are now starting to move towards other uh, alternative uh, methods such as flat fee billing or fixed rates or or even capped fees. Um, Like as an example, I used to charge an hourly rate to review employee handbooks. Now I've done it so much that, and I use software that I know how long it's going to take me um, to draft a new employee handbook from scratch. And I say from scratch, but it's, it's using a template, um, so I can charge a flat fee. And then my client is not concerned about, oh shoot, I, I want to pick up the phone and call Dave and talk about something for five minutes, but I don't want him to bill me. If you charge a flat fee, they're not concerned about, you know, should I call him? Should I not call him? Because I don't want to pay a little bit here. You know, so that that's something that you know I, I see going forward into the future, uh, rather than just the amorphous billable hour. Oh, now, some wow. things you're, you're still going to bill by the hour, and some things are still going to be like a contingency. Um, but but I definitely see different alter, alternate uh, billing methods uh, being more popular in the future.
1: Wow, that is really good news because I have um, I have worked with some attorneys, and I know exactly what you're talking about when they would charge. And this wasn't an unusual, anywhere from 500 to to $1,000 an hour, especially if they were being an expert in a court of law. I think yes. that's, the, um, that's where most people think, oh, I can make big money. But that's built on years and years and years of experience. That's not just something that happened you know. as soon as they got out of, out of uh, law school or in the first couple of years. It, it takes time to build up that knowledge base.
2: Yes. And, and I mean, you can charge your clients whatever you want, as long as it's it's ethical. But if they challenge you, then you're gonna have to prove essentially that, that you're worth that. And, and if you're ever successful in court, and, and you get your attorney's fees w- awarded to you, the court only awards reasonable attorney's fees and lawyers will fight over whether it should have taken you four hours to draft this document and they also fight over whether you're really worth four hundred dollars an hour or really you should only be billing at 165 an hour so that's the kind of stuff i mean someone that's been doing it for 20 years yeah they're going to be worth more than someone fresh out of law school
1: well we are at the end of our show here so we are going to be doing our um spotlight so you can hold on that music there Um, We're going to say Q, thank you very much. Q is our station manager. He lets us come into this great campus and be able to do our shows here. Um, He keeps us all on the straight and narrow path. So thank you, Q. We really appreciate you. And we appreciate being on Valencia College East Campus radio
0: studio so thank you let's do some shout outs sydney i shout out isabella for it's her birthday oh thank you happy, <laughs> happy birthday happy
1: birthday yeah thank you david who is your shout out for or i'm gonna shout
2: i'm up? gonna shout out to leslie Miserac and ricky Baez, uh the ones who are in charge of hr or disrupt hr orlando since i just spoke there recently
1: yep and they are awesome both of those people are really good so leslie and ricky You know, we really uh, enjoy everything that you're posting out there on the web. I know I enjoy those articles. And Leslie has done some really great workshops. I've not been able to sit in on them, but they are really, really good, and I've heard feedback from everybody around her. Um, My shout-out goes to all of my crew on the game team, on the software team, on the radio team, and on the marketing team and the graphics team. All of those people, they do a great job, and I just want to say thank you to all of them. And then... If anybody wants to contact our show, that is like some really bizarre noises over there. Um, You can contact us at info at internpursuit.tech. You can call us at 321-422-2166. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram. And you can also listen to us live on Valencia College Radio if you go and download that app. And as we close out this show, we want to thank you for listening to The Intern Whisper.